You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. I am your host, Brooke Walker. You know, I have unusual intrigue, I'll call it, surrounding the conversation and the topic that we're addressing today. I realize it's an unusual topic to express that unique interest in, in that it's heavy, it's hard, it's tough. But today we'll tackle the topic of living with loss, or in other words, helping kids manage grief. And I think part of my intrigue surrounds this idea that usually this topic comes up in very prescribed and otherwise heavy situations. We talk about it when we're faced with it, or we address it when we're feeling it. As we remove it out of those heavier themed moments and put it in the lens of practical parenting, I think you'll find today's conversation to be helpful, even useful. We're going to dive into some grief vocabulary. Again, I know how unusual that sounds, but looking at terms like silent grievers, unprocessed grief. We'll define the difference between grief and mourning and even talk about a specific age category referred to as middlers and why as parents it's so important to attend to the needs of this specific age group of children. We have just the person to guide us through this unique conversation. Emilio Parga is founder and executive director of the Solace Tree in Reno, Nevada. His team offers support to grieving children, teens, and adults. He's a national speaker, author, bereavement counselor and trainer. And his approach to this topic is one of balance. He recognizes that spirituality and faith is a large part of the grieving process. He also believes that having the right words, the right vocabulary, and the right approach can make a difference too. You know, in our head, we know that life ends, but I think in the heart, it's another matter. So our goal today is to help all of us better understand the needs of those around us who are grappling with great personal loss, how we can support them better, and how we can show up and ultimately deepen those relationships through this trying process. I think you'll enjoy this conversation, I hope you will anyway, with bereavement and grief counselor, Emilio Parga. Emilio, thank you for jumping in to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm so grateful to have you. So glad to be here. Thank you. This is a tough topic. It's a, it is a tough topic. I think it's a big topic for both parents and kids to consider. You're, you're the perfect person to take it on, though. You have words to deal with grief, and I think that's a good starting place. I think a lot of people struggle for the actual vocabulary. Do you find that to be the case with the families that you work for? Finding the words can be a tough first starting point. It is tough. Uh, they've, their world has been turned upside down and it's like, it's this new normal and there's no textbook and there's no class and there's no doctor. Anyone can say, hey, this is the way you're supposed to do it because we all grieve differently. So there's new language and there's new things happening and depending on the death and the type of death, and the milestones for the child or the adult and there's unprocessed grief and unaddressed grief and so much is happening that it's just, it's organic. Like, here's what's happening. Here's my experiences. And we're just listening and we're learning and we're, and we're just, we're getting so much out of learning about someone's uh, grief process. And, and I appreciate the point that you emphasize that grief is not a box to be checked, or in other words, you describe grief as a process. Explain that. So grief is a process. It's not the five stages of grief. We all come from different families, households, there's different beliefs, cultures, religions, We've had de- uh, new experiences. We, some of us have had no death in our life, no losses, but or we've had 
death and losses. And it's, it's just, um, I call it, I don't call it, but it's been, I've heard it's been called our, our death bank and our loss bank and all these losses in our life uh, add up to our current loss. Like it's a divorce and now it's our first divorce. But when I was a kid, my parents didn't go through divorce or they did. So it's just building up these emotions that are coming up or it's a, it's a death bank for children. It's their first death. And I do a, a presentation of preschoolers is called first losses, first feelings. Mm-hmm. And it's spending time with five-year-olds and it's their first death. But in that classroom, children probably had a dog die, a grandparent die. Maybe it's their second family member that dies. And at the time before COVID, they were going to funerals and memorials. And now they're learning about uh, how to grieve on, uh, you know, on Zoom. So we just have all these losses and we're dealing, dealing with them each season, each day, each month, and then through our milestones, you know, through our developmental stages. I think that's a fascinating analogy, and it paints a picture, right? The grief bank. And I appreciate that you broadened the definition of grief a little bit, not just surrounding death or personal loss, but, you know, the divorce or or a failure even, I, I'm sure, could amount to this level of grief that is rising or building over a lifetime. And and if I understand correctly, that, that level doesn't go away. We just learn to manage. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so- so we learn to live with it. We never want to get over, over it, but we're learning to live with this. So when, when we say, when we talk about grief, it's it's the feelings that we have inside of our body and we're, we're grieving them due to money, relationships, a, a divorce, a separation, a deployment, a move, a kid in foster care, a, abuse, the weather. There's so many things that we're grieving that we take on each day when we go to bed and we wake up and it's a new day, but it's still just sitting there. So we're just working on things mm. and those things add up. So if we don't work on that, as we continue to grieve the rest of our lives, it becomes unprocessed. And that's why as a society, mostly with adults, there's so much unaddressed grief and all that grief that was all the losses we've experienced that's never been worked on. It weighs, uh, weighs on us, weighs on our heart and our relationships. And then we sometimes we just can't function at work and relationships at school. And then you have the weather and then you have COVID and then you have anniversaries and so many things come up that it just, it, it just grief, we're grieving. Mm-hmm. And you took the words out of my mouth when you said unresolved grief. That's sometimes a phrase that we toss around. The grief is unresolved or I haven't been able to resolve my grief. Is that a real thing then? If you consider the fact that grief isn't isn't going away, certainly we're learning to live with it. But I think your your reference to grieving during the pandemic is an interesting one because the process became so greatly different as we attended funerals through a screen virtually over Zoom, or as we weren't able to say goodbye in what we would consider a thoughtful and personal way to a loved one. Is there such a thing as unresolved grief and how, I guess, has that changed this last little while? So I have to tell you, I'm I because there's so much language that we're learning more about with uh, culture, religion, and this uh, global pandemic, and uh-huh. then just people's stories. I've actually taken me personally and professionally. So I can't believe that I said it, but I've taken the word unresolved grief because I've learned, and even on this podcast, everything I'm going to share with you, it's it's lessons learned. I've learned from thousands of uh, children, teens, and families um, from, from 9-11 to uh, mass shootings and school shootings just in our own city. Um, but I've heard that 
we don't, our grief isn't going to be resolved. It's not like we're over and our husband died and we're like, okay, everything's fine. I'm not going to remember him or our child died or we had a dog died. We still need to work on it. We still need to talk about it and, and document it or, uh, you know, do things that connect our head and the heart as far as our emotions so we can work on it. Not that it'll ever be mm-hmm. fixed or resolved. So people have told me, I don't want to, it's not resolved, Emilio. It's just, and here's how I started coming up with these words, uh, again, learning them. It's just unprocessed. And I'm learning mm. to process my grief in my next relationship if if there was a divorce or it was a bad breakup. And then the unaddressed grief, I tie in the word, it's a huge buzzword in the grieving world. It's called the silent griever. The silent griever is someone who never had a chance to process a divorce, a bad relationship when mom had cancer and, and or the dog died for whatever reason. Uh-huh. So, but that's why when we process this, we, we won't be so silent in it. And it mostly comes down from men because of the way they were raised and treated. And you're the man of the house. And, you know, we learn so differently from you as well. Uh, men and women learn so differently. So it's not, um, and then we grieve differently as well because of how we were taught, right? So- mm-hmm. society, society mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I think we've taken out, I know I have the word unresolved and we're using words like unaddressed grief and unprocessed grief. And I think you said unaddressed, actually. I I jumped to unresolved. So rest assured, I think that was me putting words in your mouth that you didn't say. So unaddressed or unprocessed. Yes, yes. Yeah. And do you think, I realize this this pandemic at the time of our conversation, we're still very much living it. People could be listening to this conversation at any given point. But do you feel like this, let's say, year, year and a half of history has made the process harder? Or in other words, are we going to have more silent grievers as a result of this very unusual, unique year where we weren't able to connect and process as, as we have in the past? In May of 2020, someone said, wow, there's there's so much, there, the mental health is really catching up to us. Suicides were starting to pick up. Uh, like the word you used, Emilio, it's unprocessed. It's coming. I go, what's coming? I go, here's another buzzword we learned last Okay. Spring. It's okay. called the emotional health cleanup. And with what you asked is we didn't, people didn't get a chance to go to funerals. They never got a chance to talk about it. They sat at home. There was suicide. There was abuse. There was people just sitting at home that never really sat home with their children and their spouse and family members. They're like, now what? But they're not, we're not going to talk about our past because we're still sitting with, I need a job or so many things were happening. So this emotional health cleanup that's coming, they said in 2021 and beyond mm-hmm. um, is a time for us to uh, slowly work on our grief for the ones who want to work on it, get help through counseling therapy, start to exercise, document feelings and journaling, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's just taking a little longer than, uh, than we thought, but it, it's, that's just what it is. It's just, it's sitting in, in people's, it's just, it's just making us heavy because mm-hmm. when we had a job, now we don't. Uh, yeah. when, we're, when we were in a relationship and now we're not because they're dealing with their own things. So there's so many things that we're grieving. And then you get this COVID that's just sitting right on here. And people who never processed their grief before we're seeing it in our, in our organization, it's tough. To carry that weight, you, you referenced on our shoulders, just carry that weight around with us. You make a distinction. I, I find the vocabulary here really fascinating and helpful, I think, ultimately, as we try to process this and help our families and our kids process this as well. But you make a distinction between grief and mourning. Talk mm-hmm. me through that. So we've learned that grief is, and we, we heard, I call them middlers, and they're between the children ages 9 and 12. They're not really children, but they're not teens, mm-hmm. right? So 
they say, and, and we've learned it, and I've seen it in textbooks, but around, they say at around nine, children will are starting to understand the permanency that someone has died. Like they understand. So if they're if they're very religious, they know they're in heaven. If they're not, and, and they've been told that they died and they're never coming back, their heart stopped, they're never coming back. So they've been cremated or they're at the cemetery. So the understanding that this person or pet animal is never coming back. Which that feels young to me, nine years old. They're processing Absolutely. what that means. And they get so much from us. We're models. As adults, we model our grief. We model it through our tears. We model it through our shoulders. They hear and see us on the phone. You know, routines and schedules have been changed and they're noticing. And here's where I, got, here's where I learned about grief from young children other than reading about it and saying, we do grief and loss. Is they're missing something in their stomach, their heart, uh, they have somatic symptoms and they're just, something's not right because schedules and routines and they're just sad because the adults are sad and they don't know how to talk to the children about it because there's really nothing to other than guidebooks. But again, you know, culture, religion, beliefs, how they were raised, first loss, mm-hmm. first death. Mm-hmm. And we've learned from young children, the middlers at least, that grief is what we feel on our inside because we have young children draw where they feel pain, where they feel sorrow. They might not know sorrow. They might not really know pain other than if they hit their hand or a soccer ball hit them in the face and their head hurts, you know, as a, as a young child that age. Yeah. They fell off their bike. But they understand that their heart is heavy. They don't feel well. Their stomach hurts inside. They're having headaches because they're not sleeping. So you have them draw this out and they identify on this bo- this drawing of the body where they feel it. And then they get to show it and then they get to, they draw it out and they color it with different, we don't, we don't analyze the colors, but they just draw their body. We trace their body uh-huh. and show us with their body. And that's what they feel on the inside. And then we've learned. And so they understand grief, but mourning comes with children and teens a little older when you see mourning is, and you see it culturally with hair, tattoos, clothes, <clears throat> little things like that, that let people, teenagers and adults express themselves um, mm-hmm. that were grieving um, the loss of someone. And it could have been, I, I, I think back when I first learned about this and started talking about it, I think it was early 1990, 1990s, just Kurt Cobain, when he died of suicide, how it, I mean, you know, many musicians and, and athletes and art and artists and actors and actresses have died. But I remember when I started paying attention to when Kurt Cobain died and how people were doing tattoos and they were they were dressing, I think it was mod or grunge, a more grunge. And they were really letting everybody know that they're mourning the death of Kurt Cobain. So I take that, I start this organization 18 years ago and I started seeing and, and listening to just different teens and adults, uh, children and teens, the difference between grief and mourning. And so that's how we've learned it. Lessons learned about grief on the inside. Mourning is grief gone public. That's actually the word grief gone public. We're letting everybody mm. know that I'm mourning the color of my hair, tattoos, earrings, piercing. See, I wouldn't have defined it that way. I'm grateful for that clarification. I would have thought mourning is more early onset, like right after it's what I'm feeling and grief comes later. But by that description, mourning can take years to really unfold and develop through those physical manifestations that you talked about. Those could show up years later. I have to, t- I have to tell you that we've learned that the word anticipatory grief, like we've, out, we've taken it out of our vocabulary. Have you, heard, have you heard of the word anticipatory grief? No. So anticipatory grief, which we used 19 years ago was found out mom had cancer Uh and now we're having this, we're getting ready to grieve. Like 
it's imminent and she's going to die. So we're starting to think about grieving her because she's probably going to die. When I read a book and, and it was in 1938 that the best way to grieve, and I loved how it was put, is to grieve. And it came from a rabbi and I started thinking about it. And it's like, the best way to grieve is grieve. And when I put that out there for families and when I do teacher trainings and workshops, it made more sense. When we find out that our dog or a parent or friend has cancer or is very, very, very sick, like we're sad. What can I do to help you? Um, I, I, you know, I'm so sad by this. I'm going to change my work schedule, whatever they can do. And they're sad because again, schedules and routines have changed. So we're already grieving. So we're not using that anticipatory grief. We're using, I'm so sad now. And I want to help you get through this. I'm here to listen to you. I want to come over and vacuum. So those are some of the things that have changed as far as language and helping Mm -hmm. individuals be a part of that grieving process as soon as they find out the sad news. At sad grief, news. grief is grief at any right. time or at any Divorce, stage. death, incarceration, yeah. the cancer, yeah. Yeah. You know, and people may, I want to acknowledge this because people may be listening and saying, wow, you're talking about some really heavy life trials in a very matter-of-fact way. And as an interviewer, as a, as a host, I'm used to asking about tough topics in a matter-of-fact way. Do you find learning the vocabulary ever takes away from the emotion of the moment? I'm thinking of those middlers that you talked about, 9 to 12 years old. As a parent, if I'm using the right vocabulary and I'm trying to practice you know, the education that you're graciously sharing with us today, how can I make sure that I don't lose sight of, of the heartbreak, the human heartbreak and emotion that comes from this kind of loss? That's such a great question. And I I always, uh, here's the legacy that I think we've built and that I'd like to leave when I do this kind of work, when I decide to leave. It's never what Emilio knows and what he's saying. It's what Emilio and the organization has learned because we all learn differently. We all grieve differently. I want people to be mindful of this language. You know, I've learned over the years that people don't want to hear, I'm so sorry your mom died, your dog died, your friend died. People don't want to hear that. They want to hear more, they want to hear more acknowledgement. Now we've learned that with bereaved adults and, and, and elsewhere, everybody says it and it's very natural. So I'm saying, let's not take that away, but let's think about using some of the things that I've said that we've learned, that we know that are helpful and the feedback that we've gotten from evaluations or just in general, it's been helpful because it's just different. So Brooke, if you were to tell me that your your friend had cancer and, and we were friends and you're just sharing this with me, it's me saying, I'm so sad to hear that, Brooke. What kind of cancer is it? As opposed to, I'm so sorry, Brooke. And then I'm done. Like, where's it, it going? Yeah. I need to acknowledge yeah. you. I know you're sad. You got to go to work today. You got other things going on. But I want to acknowledge you. And I'm asking you that next question. That follow-up is very big because I'm letting you know too that I'm sad that you're sad. I know you were very close to him. And I want you to know, I want to listen more. What's happening? What type of cancer? How can I help you? You know, there's so many variables to it, but that's the piece that I'm saying be mindful with. Yes, yes. Well, and it slides quite nicely into this next this next thought path, which I really appreciated. You look up to a mentor um, when it comes to processing this topic and, and talking about this kind of conversation, and that is Fred Rogers. Why do you like Mr. Rogers for a topic like grief? You know, I was a school counselor when this was all, uh, when I was thinking about, um, you know, doing, uh, starting a uh, grief organization. And I remembered all too well uh, when I was a school counselor and teacher that he had books on videos on how to explain death to a child, how to explain the death of a goldfish, death of a parent. 
um, death of a pet. I mean, a goldfish is a pet for some, but it's also, uh, it's an animal and then there's a fish. And I went back to it and I was like, wow, like he did it so gracefully, but he did it in the 60s when I was doing more research. He was doing it after Vietnam War, after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, after Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, and after JFK was assassinated, all in the 60s. And when they told him not to do it, he's like, well, there's something that we need to do to help us understand that children will talk to us. We just need to listen. And they have so much to share. When I started this, people were like, well, why do you want to talk to kids about death? They're not going to talk about it. They're too young. I go, well, I've been listening and reading, but they do want to talk to you as long as that we're listening. His famous quote, and this is really a catalyst. He was one of many mentors, but he was really the first. He has this saying that was, it really stuck to me. And he said, what's mentionable is manageable. And what's manageable is mentionable. And kids will talk to you about anything as long as you're listening. And when he said that, he meant death, sex, religion, assassination, divorce, the war. And I'm like, this is huge. Now, this was in the late 60s, going into the 70s. And here we are, 2021. And it's still hard for adults to talk to children about, mm-hmm. you know, um, look what's happening in the world, right? Yeah. There's yeah. also past wars. People are getting divorced. There's homicides. And so that's what it is. Uh, it's, it, it's really trying to explain age appropriate to young children about what's going on. And then it's also, as adults, our own flavor, our own religion, our own culture. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot, as, you know, and I watched him growing up too and, and other TV shows, but then I became a teacher and school counselor trying to find some hard topics. He really was the one that said, here's some hard topics and here's how we're going to talk about them in a very subtle way. Uh, a compassionate, present way. And I thought, wow, what a great way to start this organization just from his stuff. And there's not much, but it's so positive and it's so like, it's so subtle, but it's also very caring. And I thought that's a great way to uh, get volunteers and staff and teachers to just realize that, hey, this was the foundation. He pioneered this stuff. Let's just use this and then use our own flavor and, uh, you know, on on talking and listening to children. Oh, it's a beautiful jumping off point. Anything that's human is mentionable and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. You mentioned going beyond just the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for your loss. And I think that was valuable insight to take it a little deeper and to reach into that relationship with a little more intimacy and and personal connection. Can you give us some other phrases that might be helpful during times of loss, things we could say that wouldn't be that wouldn't be trite or wouldn't be surface, but that would help this person really sincerely feel our investment and our care for them. Absolutely, I'm going to give you some examples that we've learned that I've used and other people have used that work based on just because we're mindful and we're doing something different, but we're letting the person know who, whether it's a child, adult, how privileged are we when someone says, "Hey, my mom has cancer," or "My my uncle died in North Carolina." And, and why do they tell us that? Because they know that we're friends. They know that we're going to listen. They know that we care. We know that we've had other experiences, whether it's a divorce or we've had a death in our life. And I always think that we should be privileged to know that that person came to us. So we better listen and we're going to acknowledge them and not be afraid because this is, this is heavy. And I have found over the years that these topics have some joy in the sorrow and that is memory making. And so when I say that, so no one gets like, oh my gosh, there's joy in death. It's, it's, it's more about 
when someone says, hey, when I say to you, hey, Brooke, what's going on? Let's say we're working together in the same hall or I see you at a, at a coffee place. And you're like, well, I've just found out that my friend uh, just died and um, I'm just super sad today. I'm like, oh my gosh, Brooke, um, how did he die? Okay, I'm acknowledging you, right? So, mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. I'll say, I'm, I'm so sad by that. Um, how long have you known him? Or So see, I'm starting this conversation with you. You, I knew something was wrong with you, but we're having this conversation now. We're at coffee, we're in the hallway, but I really want to know. And you're like, well, okay, Emilio's a good listener. He's a friend of mine. He's a colleague. He really wants to know. I want to let him know. And I always, I, I, it, it's, so, it's so broad, but we have to remember when someone says, oh, I'm sad because, or hey, I just wanted you to know I'm going to leave early today because my uncle died and I'm super sad today. Can you take over my shift at two o'clock? I'm leaving at one o'clock. It's just, it's communication really. Yeah. It's not yeah. gonna be me guessing, why is Brooke so moody? Why is Brooke so sad? How come she's not talking to me? Well, you know, I'm gonna go ask you. And, and really, if you wanna tell me, you'll tell me. But if not, there's an understanding there that you're having a bad day or, or, or I'll find out from someone else, hey, what was wrong with Brooke? Uh, she seemed sad today. Her uncle died. And maybe that's me reaching out through an email, through a card, make a phone call or a text. Hey, Brooke, I, um, I'm leaving work today. We missed you. Um, I heard that your friend died or had cancer. I just wanted you to know, here's where it comes. Here's where it comes. I'm uh-huh. thinking of you. And that's it. We don't need to be like, oh my gosh, Brooke, tell me more. I'm so sad. I'm so sorry. But it's more just reaching out, it's communicating. It's also letting you know, Brooke, tomorrow the next day, I know we're supposed to be in a meeting. Is there anything I can do to help bring notes, fill your space in? I know you're going out of town. Hey, I want to walk your dog. Um, Do you need the, I know your trash gets taken out on Wednesday. We're just, we're trying to be mindful of all the things our family and, 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 and colleagues are going through if we know them. If not, ask. Yeah. Well, and the solutions are amazing. The garbage and the details that I might not have to worry about on a day-to-day that would allow me to, you know, process through this. But I think more than anything, Emilio, it's the outreach, right? It's it's just me breaking through what can feel like that wall of awkwardness and saying, I'm here. You don't need to do anything. I'm just here. That, to me, I think says so much. It says so much. And on a text message and email, because we've gotten away from, hey, Brooke, I was thinking of you. I heard that so-and-so died or so-and-so. Over the phone. Yeah. And, and... And it's not like, oh, Brooke, I need to give you a hug. I'm so sorry. But that communication, that reaching out, just letting you know that I'm here. And by the way, Brooke, if you ever want to talk about it, I'm leaving out of town. I know you're, uh, but I'll be back Friday. Um, If you want to have a cup of coffee or I'd like to stop by before I leave town. It's all these little things that we can come up with that it's okay. Like it's being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And we need to just reach out and letting them know that, hey, I'm just another resource and I'm just letting you know. Now we're not going to keep calling every day. Hey, Brooke, I'm here. I'm here. But as long as everybody knows that that person's like, hey, I'm just reaching out. you know. And, and for my job, every once in a while, I'll reach out maybe every fifth day or every, every other week because there's so many people getting involved. Again, it's just another resource. Even as an organization, mm-hmm. we just want them mm-hmm. to know that we're here just to listen. We're not going to give advice. We're not going to give opinions. Um, but we're just here to listen if you ever want to talk. They don't always call back. But it's just knowing that. Yeah. It's just knowing. Yeah. I really appreciate this conversation too because it frames this tough topic 
in kind of two parts, if you will. There's that emotional, personal, human loss, and there's also the practical, manageable, everyday processes that kind of combust during a time like this. And you still have to manage both. You've still got, you know, those two balls in the air, metaphorically. But I, I, I revisit this scene often in my head, Emilio. It was it was several years ago, and I was I was attending um a funeral service for an extended family member. And this particular family, you know, very, very deep-seated in their faith, which I appreciated. And that faith uh, just radiated. It was a light about this service. And you could feel that and you knew that they knew, you know, where their loved one was and they were at peace with that. And sharing in that faith, as I do, I felt comforted by that. And also I felt strengthened by that myself. I watched a mom from a distance comforting a really distraught child. And I think this child was 11 or 12 years old. And I don't say this critically because we are all there just feeling together, but the child was clearly having a really hard time. And in that moment, the mom reached for her faith, and she said some very simplistic sentences about, you know, where grandpa was and what they knew. And and I know those things were very reassuring to her, to her in her adult mind. I, I, I didn't, I didn't feel quite as certain they were resonating with this child. And I think there's a balance to be played there, right? As we talk about how to help our children, I mean, you reference those middlers, I'm kind of fixed on that, the nine to 12 year olds that are feeling it and not knowing how to process. Faith can certainly buoy us up and it should in moments like this, but there's also a practical side to this. And that's where I appreciate your words and, and the resources you've shared, because as parents, it would seem we have to balance that. Absolutely. And, and, and when I train volunteers and I talk to teachers about helping kids in their classroom or in their own home, I said, there's two ways to explain death. There's the scientific way that yeah. your heart stops, you're no longer breathing, you can't feel. And then there's the religious way. I've never taken on religion because um, it's that family's religion and it's how they raise that child and what they believe. And the other side is scientific. So when they say, well, how do we do it? I'm like, well, how do you want to do this? There's two ways. Mm -hmm. How are you taught? And here's how I started off. How are you taught? What do you want to talk to your child about or children? What do you want to teach them? And then here's some scripts. Here's some things that we've learned. Again, I told you in the very beginning, I never want to be like, this is what Emilio knows. And this is what the organization is saying needs to happen. Right, right. What does the family do? What does the family want to do? Here are some suggestions for that child because that nine-year-old, Brooke, will be 15 someday, will be 21, will be in a relationship, will work, will go to school, will be married, will have their own children. And we're building a foundation of faith, not science, but faith uh, for family who is very religious. What are they teaching in, 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 their, in scripture? So it's a great way to learn so much about someone's religion, but also their culture. There's yes. just, I say those two ways because I learned it and it made sense. And when we asked, when we talked to children about um, when you, we die when our heart has stopped and we no longer can feel and we can't see and we're not hurting anymore, you know, that physical body before mm -hmm. it goes wherever it's going, mm -hmm. just makes sense. And I use that nine to 12 year olds because they're not children and they're not teens and they're right in the middle. And of, and of 18 years, we see more nine to 12 year olds than ever before. So it's been a great journey to learn with these kids who are now in their twenties, 
But we really, they were really the foundation for, we're going to learn from you, but we're also going to keep teaching what we've learned because you're just caught right in the middle. Yeah. In conclusion, I'd love your thoughts on grief as a, as a teacher, uh, religious leader and author Sherry Dew wrote a really poignant piece uh, back in August of 2020. She shared a very special relationship with her mom who passed away, I believe in her 80s or 90s, had lived a very full life, but still she wrote that no one's prepared to lose their mother. And there was a sentence that, that Sister Dew penned that has really stuck with me. She penned that there is never a good time to lose a mother, which I think everyone can relate to. But there was one other sentence that wrapped around my heart. She said, I'm coming to realize that grieving is a kind of enhanced gratitude. And I loved that sentiment that she went on to reflect all of these beautiful memories and lessons learned from her dear mom and and ultimately came to recognize grief as a teacher. What are your thoughts on that? What can we learn from grief? How can it help us be better humans, be better parents? That's that's great. And and what we've learned, I think, to help and and, and support, also inspire uh, teachers and, 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 and families, parents, is that grief is ongoing. And we grieve and we will regrieve. And grief is so cyclical. And it happens in our developmental stages. And it happens in seasons. And it happens in memories and in music and in thoughts and in just driving when we're by ourselves or when someone else is in the car. It happens with food. And we just embrace those great memories. I told you earlier that uh, grief is what we feel in our body and that it's ongoing, but it's always happening around us uh, and, and, and our relationships and our life, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays. And we're making meaning of all this loss, but also, I didn't mention this, and this is more of a faith thing, it's beautiful. Uh, we're continuing bonds with the person who's no longer here. A life has ended, but a relationship will never end. And that's the grief. We're grieving this individual, a family member, a parent, a friend, someone on, on TV or in music forever because they brought us joy. And we're never going to forget what they did for us in our relationships with our children. Um, and, it, and it brings tears and it brings laughter, but it's all about memory making. And, and, and if, we, if we pay attention to that, we, we will be kinder to each other. We will listen more. We will be more present. We will be more mindful when someone says, hey, my dad died. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's such a privilege. And, 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 and should, we should be so honored when someone wants to give us this information that's so sad, but also they're talking to us and we need to just listen. A life is ending, a relationship is not. I love that so much. This has been so helpful and so inspiring. I realize it's a unique topic to draw inspiration from, but I have today, and I'm grateful for your guidance and your suggestions. Where can we get more about your center and the work that you do? You can find out more about our center at www.solacetree.org, or you can call us at 775-324-324. Seven seven two three. We work seven days a week. We're here to ask ask questions, give suggestions, and really support callers and people who go online. Give us the number one more time. Seven seven five. You're okay. <laughs> Can we go to commercial? Can we? <laughs> okay, hold on. I've always wanted to do that. I want, so <laughs> let me just do it. I always wanted to do it. You've always wanted to toss the yeah, commercial. Yeah. Commercial. We'll be right back. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Okay, ready? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Give us the number one more time. All right. 775-324-7723. 
See, I didn't make eye contact. That's what made it doable. (laughs) Emilio, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on this show. And it's a privilege to talk about things that we've learned from from ages 2 to 80. So thank you so much. You've been listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. We'd invite you to subscribe to this podcast for more conversations just like this. We hope you'll join us next time. Thanks for listening. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.